And we will shift to today's scripture reading, which is from Philippians 1, 18 through 25. And I'll be reading from the ESV version. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayer and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. All right. Um, a few weeks ago, we started our book series in the book of Philippians. And, and it was, it's really a letter that a man named Paul, who we are familiar with if you grew up in the church, he's the writer of this letter, and he's currently waiting on trial under arrest. Paul's writing this letter to a beloved community in Philippi as he's waiting on trial. And he doesn't know whether he's going to be released or he'll be executed. Uh, he's, and he's also writing this letter to a group of believers who are facing trials of their own. Right? When you think about church in Philippi, I shared last week, it was a very proud city. It was a city that many, many Roman soldiers retired at. They had this strong patriotism towards Rome. So when Paul showed up and said there is actually a greater king than the king of Rome, it really bothered people there. But the church grew, and the Christians there, they faced, as they grew as a church, they faced unbelievable amount of trials and challenges. So Paul's in prison, writing to a group of people that are struggling, that are facing their own trials Yet the Paul's primary message through the letter of Philippians is what? It's one of joy. It's a call to rejoice. And the word rejoice is mentioned over 16 times in this rather brief letter. And we said last week the joy or the rejoicing that Paul is mentioning throughout this letter is not the type of joy that is manufactured or forced. Even when life feels miserable... It is not pretending or ignoring reality of life. Rather, it is facing them directly through the courage and the comfort that the Spirit of God provides for each of them. So this is why Paul in his other letter, Galatians, tells us joy is not this forcing or this some, something that we create or something that we pretend. Joy is actually a what? A gift. Galatians 5, right? Joy is a gift that the Spirit Spirit of God infuses into each of our hearts as He resides in us. That joy is not something that is just tied to happiness or pleasure. Actually, Paul says joy is what Holy Spirit gives. It's one of the gifts, one of the fruit of the Spirit. And this is, this is why, although happiness, when we think about the idea of happiness, happiness cannot withstand trials and challenges and pain, but joy can, and joy does, and joy will. 
In fact, verse 19 of our passage, as it was read by our brother Daniel, Paul borrows the, the, the verse 19 when Paul says, this will turn out to be my deliverance. Right? Paul is borrowing the words of a man named Job in the Old Testament. Right? Old Testament scripture tells us there was, there's no other man that was more righteous than a man named Job. Yet Job, if you know the story of Job, if you ever read the book of Job, it is just like 40-some chapters of Job's struggle, enduring great pain and suffering as he remained faithful to Yahweh. So in verse 19, Paul says, What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. The original audience in Philippi is seeing Job's words in Job chapter 13, right? When he says, this will turn out for my deliverance. And before Job says that, he says this famous line, Though he slay me, talking about Yahweh, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. And indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. So, so Paul is fully aware of pain. He is not ignorant of his reality. He does not pretend as if things are all good. I mean, he sounds really positive and happy in first 12 verses, verses of our chapter 1. But it is, Paul is fully aware of what he is facing. Paul is fully aware of the challenges and difficulties the Christians in Philippi are facing. Yet Paul also echoes the words of Job, that this will too turn out for our deliverance. So last week we were in verses 12 to 18, chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, and Paul spoke of his imprisonment not as what? Not as an hindrance, but as an advancement. I said last week, the word hindrance and advancement in Greek sound very similar. I'm not going to repeat that because I butchered that last week. I'm not going to try to do that. Very similar. And Paul is reminding people, hey, hey, you think this is hindrance. Me being in prison, you think the persecution you're facing is hindrance? Paul says, no, it's not. It's actually an advancement. God is actually advancing the kingdom of God through my imprisonment. More people are coming to know about Jesus and more people are preaching Jesus in a more bold way. So that was, that was last week, this great sense of, of joy because, again, Paul says, even if people were preaching out of their selfish ambition, because some were preaching out of selfish ambition, some were taking this opportunity to throw shade at Paul, saying, Paul is not a great apostle, I am. And, and they were preaching, and Paul says, so what if I'm misrepresented? So what if I'm misunderstood? So what if people preach out of their own desires? Because at the end of the day, Christ is being preached. And that is worth rejoicing. That is worth rejoicing. Verse 18, right? So we pick up from verse 18, part B, and he says, For that I rejoice, and yes, I will continue to rejoice. So in our passage, verse 18, Paul now turns the audience's attention, not only in the present joy of Christ being preached and more people boldly preaching Christ. Now he turns the audience's attention to the future joy. He moves the audience from the present joy, verses 12 to 18a, to the future prospect of even greater joy. Paul says, I'm not done. There's more reason to rejoice. Verse 18b, 
I'm going to continue to rejoice. Here is a reason why. In verse 19, he says, through the prayer of God's people, through your prayer and through the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, my imprisonment will turn out for my deliverance. Everyone say deliverance. So you got to circle deliverance because we're going to have to define what Paul means by deliverance. And then he says the very famous words in verse 21, for, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So what does Paul mean when he says he will be delivered in our passage? From the text, if you read this very slowly, it's pretty clear that Paul is not referring to being released. That's not, yes, Paul is in prison. Yes, trial is coming. But it's very clear when you read this text, Paul is not referring to being released or being saved from coming trial. Here are two reasons why I don't think that's what Paul means. Reason one, the word deliverance. So teria in Greek. Paul chooses to use, the, the Paul chooses to use in verse 19 is often used. This word deliverance is often used to describe deliverance not from physical harm, but from eternal judgment of God. Every time Paul uses the word soteria, he's not referring to being saved from physical harm. He has always used it to refer to being saved from eternal judgment of God. So it's his word choice of deliverance. Second reason, and probably more obvious reason, if Paul is simply speaking about God delivering him from the hands of the Romans, he wouldn't have what he said in verse 20, right? What does he say in verse 20? The famous words, whether I live or die, Christ is going to be exalted, right? See, it would, have, it, would have, it would have significantly reduced. If Paul meant deliverance by him getting out of jail or him, his life being spared from this trial, it would have significantly reduced the more, most powerful words of confession in verse 20. Whether I live or die, Christ will be honored in my body. So it's very clear through the text that Paul is not thinking deliverance as me getting out of jail or deliverance as me, my life being spared. So if Paul isn't speaking about his deliverance from his imprisonment, then what deliverance is Paul hoping to receive? What's he trying to explain to the Christians in Philippi? You see, verse 20 is really the answer. It's, it's natural just... It naturally follows the reason. See, verse 20, for Paul, his deliverance is not about surviving this trial. It isn't about clearing his name from those who have misrepresented him. It isn't about his ultimate salvation from eternal death either. Although that is true, and that is what allowed Paul to have this courage and confidence and peace in all circumstances. Paul is not talking about his eternal salvation when he says deliverance here even though that is true. You see, deliverance in our passage, as stated in verse 20, it's about, it's about this, that he will have sufficient courage. Everyone say courage. He would have sufficient courage so that he will not be ashamed, but honor Christ, whether he lives or dies. So deliverance for Paul is that he will have courage to stand in trial and be able to speak boldly the truth of the gospel. 
this idea to faithfully run the race that has been marked out for him. That's Paul from another letter. You see the word courage in verse 20 that Paul chooses to write refers to outspokenness, frankness, frankness, boldness of speech, especially in the presence of powerful people. That's the word courage. See, Paul is not only eager but ready to take his stand on that on that Roman court or in that Roman court to defend the truth of the gospel, even if means his death. So verse 19, when he asks for prayer to the believers in Philippi, right? He's, he's asking for prayer because he knows it is only through their prayer and the guidance and the power of the Spirit of Jesus that will give him the courage to stand before the most powerful people and speak and not shrink to speak truth of the gospel. And friends, as we read this text 2,000 some years later, perhaps you and I also need the same courage. Yeah, none of us are in jail for our faith. None of us are being persecuted externally for our faith. Most of us aren't on this side of the globe. But as we continue to live out our faith in places that God has called us into, and especially in seasons of our great challenges and difficulties, it's all easy, it's so easy to fall into the trap of simply wanting to be rescued. It's so easy for us to simply desire solution from God. Yet God, yet, yet perhaps God wants, could it be that God wants to do something in each of us through the very challenges and conflicts that we're facing today? You see, to honor Christ as you face different conflicts in your life, conflicts at your place of work with your coworkers, with your boss, to honor Christ as you, as you face challenges being single in a city like Seoul, challenges of marriage, challenges of parenting, to honor Christ as you battle sickness, emotionally, physically, spiritually, Right? These are the challenges, the conflicts that we all face as we sit here this afternoon, right? And, 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 and the desire is that we would honor Christ as we battle these things. Because friends, God cares deeply. Yes, God cares deeply about how we are doing, how you are doing, your welfare. And He hears your cries. He sees your tears. He understands what you're experiencing, even before you tell him. That's what the scripture says. Yet it's often through these challenges and difficulties that we face in life. God desires to do something new in each of us. I mean, that's been the message throughout the book of Philippians. I mean, in fact, that's something I shared throughout this year over and over again. That God is desiring to do something new in each of us. I mean, that's been the message that I've been hearing personally for me over last year and a half. As we've faced some difficult and hard things in ministry, in family. And I think God has continued to remind me, hey, I'm doing something new in your life. You might not like it. You may not have prayed for it. But I want to do something new. And I'm not going to spare you from difficulty and challenges. And, and, and for each of us, he desires to strengthen our faith. He doesn't just desire to strengthen our career, strengthen our finances, strengthen whatever you want to strengthen. He desires to strengthen our faith. He desires to grow us in humility, wisdom, to experience him in a deeper way. So yes, 
we do pray for God's rescue. If you're facing something really difficult at work, perhaps under COVID, your business has suffered. Money is not looking good. Perhaps it's relationship. Perhaps it's your marriage. You've been married for a while and things have gotten really hard. Perhaps you've, you've, you went to the doctor and the doctor told you, you 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 need another test and you need to be checked. Yes, we should pray for God's rescue. Yes, we should pray for God's provision and God's guidance as we walk through these hard and difficult challenges of life. But the greater prayer that we ought to pray in seasons like these is that through the way we walk through these challenges and hardships and difficulties, that the Christ will be exalted. I mean, that's the prayer that Paul is praying. He's not simply praying, God, I want to be delivered out of these prison cells. God, I want to be delivered from this trial. God, I want to live to see another day. No, Paul says, God, whether I live or die, my prayer is that you will be exalted through the way I walk through this trial. That's why Paul says, God, whether I live or die, whether I am released or executed, grant me courage to make sure I do not bring shame to you, shame to me, but I exalt your name. Friends, this means, do you know what this means for us as we read this passage? This means when we work through the conflicts that exist at work, because I know work, workplace got a lot of conflicts, a lot of drama. We're all on Zoom meetings misunderstanding, we're assuming things. I mean, people have gone crazy under Zoom, right? We're in COVID. There's conflicts that exist at work, whether they're Christian or not. We have conflicts at work. In those conflicts at work, the primary goal isn't that you get your way. You guys get that? The primary goal when you have a conflict at work as a Christian is not that you get your way. Your primary goal isn't you secure the pay raise or the promotion that you think you deserve. No, it is to honor Christ so that your coworkers and your bosses recognize that you operate from a completely different set of principles. That you're willing to at times take loss and sacrifice because you want to see Christ being exalted through the way you carry out these conflicts. This also means when you get into disagreements with your spouse, and we do. I mean, we, we do. That's part of marriage. Two people, two kingdoms coming together trying to duke it out. It is hard. The primary goal isn't to win the argument. You never, you can win the argument, you will never win the fight. You know what that means. To make sure you are not, and, and, and your primary goal is not to make sure you are not misunderstood. I mean, I feel like when Lois and I get into argument, I always want to convince her. I want to make sure you really understand my intention. Sweetie, I want you to understand my intention, right? That's not the goal. It is that you learn to submit. It is that you learn to die to yourself so that Christ will be exalted. So when your non-Christian friends and neighbors see the way you treat your wife or your husband, they recognize it's not that you don't have issues in your marriage, but it's that you display humility, gentleness, and you handle your disagreements differently in a Christ-exalting way. Amen? So if you came here and you were in the car and you got into an argument with your spouse... Remember this message. 
you've had a rough week at work, with a co-worker, with whoever you work with, remember what, what, what God wants us to do. It's not that we just get wealthier and happier and healthier. No. It's that in everything we do, in whatever we do, that Christ is exalted. So verse 21, listen to Paul. This is how Paul sort of lands this argument. Because he says, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Scholars have said if you read this text in English, it sounds powerful. But if you read it in Greek, it's even more powerful. Paul is simply saying, living is Christ. Dying is gain. And these words, if you know anything about Paul, if you've read anything of Paul, these words were the heartbeat of Paul's life. What he's saying when he says, for me to live is Christ, he's saying, Christ is my foundation. He is my center. He is my purpose. He is my direction. He is my power. And he's really the meaning of my life. As a tree is totally dependent on water and earth and sun to bear fruit. What Paul is saying is, I am utterly dependent on Christ. Friends, the trials and the challenges that you may be facing this afternoon, they're not easy. No trials are easy. Nobody likes challenges and trials and suffering. They're not what you have prayed for. I'm sure no one came here and said, Lord, give me more suffering so I could be humble. I mean, that's not a prayer most people pray. Yet trials and challenges, they do something for our faith that nothing else can do for us. And you ask, what's that? See, they provide a wonderful opportunity for you and I to truly see if our faith is rooted in the right place. Trials, challenges, difficulties that you face, what they do for you is they create opportunity for you and I to truly see, just like that tree picture, trees planted in Christ, help us see what we're planted in is actually Christ or not. You see, a few weeks ago, in one of the talks, one of the sermons, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, I said we all live, all humans live with this gap between who we think we are versus who we actually are. Who we think we are versus who we actually are. You see, that gap that we, we all live with, gets often exposed through challenges and trials of life. See, you may say, you may tell me, Pastor Simon, I believe in Jesus. He's my center. He's my purpose. He's my meaning of life. And we can sing the songs that we sang. By the way, the wonderful song, right? It's all because of Christ. I mean, what a song. We can sing these songs. And you may really believe that Jesus is your center, that he is the foundation Yet, you know what the trial, trial may reveal to you? What trial may reveal to you is that Jesus is not your center. That it's something else. For some of you, it's your career. It's your dreams. It's your finances. It's whatever. But for a lot of us, it's not Christ. Often it's things that are good, but things that cannot save us. But here's the wonderful news. Every time you face some kind of storm, challenges, or trials in your life, here's the wonderful news. Every trial that we face in life, 
is actually an opportunity that God provides. Opportunity to shift again. Opportunity to reroot ourselves in Christ once again, just like this illustration of that tree and the soil. So this afternoon, you have an opportunity to say, God, I want to reshift. I want to reshift from my work being my foundation, my family being my foundation, my finances being my foundation. I want you to be my foundation. God, I want to stand not on anything else but you and on your truth. God, I, I confess that I often choose to exalt myself, choose to exalt my dreams and my desires to ignore what you are desiring to do in my life. Friends, I want to encourage you. Won't you allow your seasons of challenges and pain as an opportunity to resubmit your life to Christ once again? And it's only through, we talked about this last week, partaking in the suffering of Jesus. That's, that's, that's Paul's encouragement to fellowship in Christ's suffering, to partake in the suffering of Christ. It's only through that, joining Christ in his suffering, we gain access to true hope, true rest, true sense of peace and comfort. And you and I, we can confidently confess and echo the words of Paul in this letter, to live is Christ and to die is gain, not because we are blameless, not because we are capable and confident that we will not fall again. No, we can only utter these words because, just as Paul could, because Christ took on our sin and our shame. We can utter these words because Christ did live and he did die. This is the gospel, my friends, and we'll wrap up here. And I want to borrow the words of Pastor Keller. He wrote a book on suffering, and he says this. Jesus, the Son of God, lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so that we can gain access. He was bound and nailed so that we can be free. He was cast out so we could approach and Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that could really destroy you and I. That is being cast away from God. He took that. So, so that now all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. A lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond. And the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into greater glory. Friends, this is it. Suffering is the way to sanctification. In fact, the author of Hebrews in chapter 5 and 7, he says this about Christ. He says, though Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Do you hear these words? The Son of God, Jesus, the one person without any sin, he learned obedience through his own suffering. If Jesus is one without sin, and the one we are following, this, you know what it means to be Christian is to follow Christ, and he learned through obedience, through suffering, what makes us feel like we don't need to go through suffering? 
Why do we respond to suffering as if we're just surprised and we cannot believe God is allowing us to walk through these difficult, hard things at work, at home, whatever it may be? No. That is the way of the cross, friends. If you've read the New Testament scripture, if you read the words of Jesus, you cannot say God wants to be healthy and wealthy and comfortable. No. God has called us to not carry our bank account, not carry our career, not carry. He says, what? Carry your cross. Carry your death. And it's only through dying you can truly live. It's only through going down you could come up. So friends, I want to encourage you. God is accomplishing more than we can ever know through the hard and difficult things that you are facing today. Amen? Do you believe that? May Christ be exalted in our suffering. May Christ be exalted in our struggle. May Christ be exalted in the way we deal with these difficult and hard things. Let us pray. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for this reminder in Philippians chapter 1 through your son, Paul. Jesus, this is not a, a, a message that perhaps we want to hear. Uh, what we want to hear is that we will not suffer. What we want to hear is that you're for us, and we're never going to walk through something difficult, that you're going to spare hardship, difficulties. Yeah, Lord, that's not scripture. That's not what we're hearing from your, your son, Paul himself, from, from your son, Jesus, who said, if you want to follow me, if you want to be Christian, you got to carry your cross. If you want to live, you got to learn to die. If you want to be first, you got to get back in line. Life comes through death. So I pray, Lord, as, as many of us that are either watching or here are struggling and dealing with our own conflicts and struggles and pain, and those things are real, Lord, those things are not small. Sometimes these, these challenges and pain feel so much bigger than you, Lord. Lord, would you give us courage? Would you give us courage once again, Spirit? Spirit, we, we pray, Spirit of Christ, give us courage in our lives to face them. And Jesus, thank you that it's through these hardships and difficulties and pain that you're bringing us to a greater sense of glory. Would you be magnified in this place? Would you be exalted not only on our Sundays, but exalted, be exalted in our Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, you'll be exalted, Lord. Just say we pray. Amen.